Support for Talk of the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation, partnering with donors and nonprofits statewide to strengthen Maine communities through grants and scholarships on the web at maincf.org. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM. 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at weru.org. Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Well, some of us are moved by disparity in the human condition to do more to bring about justice. We might, on our own, be jolted into action by you know, talking with, with someone from another land, another culture. But some of us might need a nudge to get us moving in the right direction. And this morning we're going to be talking with some folks who are have really done a, um, a wonderful job with that nudge of getting people together to think and to be partners um, in, in justice. And I'm very happy to welcome Joe Sistone, who's executive director of um, IPM. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about the name a little bit later, but IPM, um, which is a partnership program. And um, He's brought with us, uh, with him, uh, Sarah Govan, who is the outreach assistant with um, IPM. Welcome to both of you. Sarah, welcome to you. Thank you. And Joe, um, welcome to you. Glad you you could be with us. Glad to be here. And you want to do a a shout out to our our colleagues at uh, Radio Sampool? I do. (laughs) Buenos dias, Radio Sampool. That's great. And you have a little connection there. We'll talk perhaps a little bit um, later. But, but first, tell us about IPM and, and uh, the, the, uh, the origins of the organization and, and how it's kind of uh, come to, to live on Mount Desert Island a little bit. Sure. Well, as, as you mentioned, Ron, um, IPM, International Partners in Mission, was founded in St. Louis, Missouri in 1974. And our mission is to work across boundaries of faith, culture, and economic circumstance with children, women, and youth to create partnerships that build justice, peace, and hope. Mm. We work in 25 countries around the world. We have approximately 70 project partners, and this year we'll conduct approximately 30 immersion experiences where North Americans and Europeans have an opportunity to go to and be with and learn from our partners around the world, including in places like El Salvador, which is so how I know some of your friends mm. at that radio station. Mm. And later on, we'll, we'll talk with uh, Jan Moore, who's a, a local realtor, but was involved in one of those immersion programs in Kenya. That's right. Jan traveled to Kenya in September of last year um, on an immersion experience with a group of donors and friends from the, throughout the United States. She was actually accompanied by my spouse, who's been a visiting professor at the College of the Atlantic and is a human rights attorney and now the executive director of the Island Housing Trust. And that was an opportunity to be in Kenya, uh, to see the work of our partners, to learn a little bit about the history and the culture, the situations in the country related to the economy, and the recent election where president and vice president were elected who have both been indicted by the International Criminal Court for Crimes Against Humanity. And really to have Jan and the others that were on that trip have an opportunity Um, to have their hearts broken, as we like to say, to understand what it's like to be in partnership uh, with people and to be challenged to come back to the United States um, and live in a new kind of way that reflects their understanding of the global realities of poverty and injustice that we try to work Mm. against or Mm. to eliminate as much as possible. So tell us a a little bit about the roots um, of um, IPM. And and, uh, you've got uh, four watchwords or guiding (laughs) principles that maybe can help tell some stories. The the guiding principles um, that have been with the organization really since our founding are of shared partnership, 
Uh, by that we mean that this is an organization that really tries to work hand in hand with groups of people around the world to help them um, build on the assets they identify in their community to address the needs that they see. One of the things that's unique about IPM is really no program is too small for us. We're not a huge international NGO, even though we do operate in a number of countries, but we really try to work with people based on their capabilities and their experience to address the needs they have um, in responding to community needs. So, for example, a group of Hindu and Muslim women in India, we're going to be hearing from Mahesh hopefully in a little bit, um, worked with a group of women who had come out of the riots there in 2002. If you've seen Slumdog Millionaire, that's sort of what happened. Um, the hundreds, probably more than a thousand people were killed in that kind of interreligious violence. These women came together and they wanted to find a way to work cooperatively to improve the lives of their community. Initially, a large international U.S.-based NGO encouraged them to make soap. And while watching them mix the soap was sort of a beautiful, almost transcendent experience, just seeing the women there together and putting this together, there was all these health-related issues related to the making of soap. So at one point, IPM, um, unlike a large organization, asked, well, what would you like to do? What do you think you could do? And they said, well, you know, we have this kite festival every year in January where everybody flies kites, and we think we could make some kites maybe, and that's something we could take home, we could do with our children if we needed to, we could involve them in the process. And so what started with a very simple sort of request for funding to begin to make some kites, last year for the Kite Festival alone in January, they sold over 160,000 kites that were flown on one day um, in Ahmedabad, India, and is, it was just a wonderful, beautiful experience for them. Um, the second principle is global awareness. Um, and that is really about making North Americans aware, as our founder said, of the global realities of poverty and justice and challenging them with a new vision of society grounded in justice and love. And so it's sort of that radical transformative nature of what the word mission, I think, meets at its heart and in its Latin roots um, and not sort of the negativity that we perceive in the word mission sometimes where people are out there trying to convert others to whatever their particular faith tradition is. Um, and a good example of that um, would be um, allowing, you know, allowing folks to experience what our partners are doing directly, but also through bilateral sharing, the partners can learn from one another. So years ago, uh, interestingly, in El Salvador, I met a group of women who had been conscientized by some of the American church women, I'm sure your listeners will recall, that were murdered in 1980. Um, and they had been organized by those women. They were aware of the injustice in their country, particularly during the Civil War. But after the war, as many North American religious communities pulled out of the country, they were kind of left in, the, in, in almost a worst-case scenario because they knew what was wrong, but they didn't have the resources to do anything about it. So we were able to take them by bus with, uh, through a partnership with another funding organization to Nicaragua to meet with another group of women called Mujer and Comunidad and to learn from them. The group in Nicaragua makes natural medicine is their income generating component. The women from El Salvador were more interested in embroidery. And um, last year they had over $38,000 in sales, uh, which is uh, remarkable for a small cooperative of women that started with nothing. And interesting for people in Maine who are aware of the history in El Salvador involved with the Sister Cities program that we've had. Um, the new government there, which is for the first time ever um, affiliated with the FMLN, uh, the president made a uh, recommendation that all school uniforms be sourced at local cooperatives. And so Mujer and Comunidad, the group we've been working with for years, was able to step in and get that contract in Zaragoza. Um, and there's uh, actually they're also very involved with the local radio station, their Radio Balsamo. Um, the third uh, principle is personalization, and that's really about this opportunity for people to come together and to learn from one another. So many large international organizations, and part of what led our founders to start IPM was this idea that we knew what was best for folks and that we would tell them what that was and that there was no real opportunity for someone who was a donor or an interested person in the United States or Europe to be in direct relationship with the person they were 
were supporting through their donations to a larger international NGO. So IPM, from its founding, has had this principle, not only does 90 cents on every dollar that's donated go directly to the partner, but that the partner is in relationship through letter writing, originally communication, um, so that people could hear from and learn from the partners themselves. Um, now that really uh, works its way out through the Immersion Experience Program. So again, this is something maybe we could talk about a little bit later when Jan's on, uh, but it's an opportunity for North Americans or students, St. Joseph's College, for example, outside of Portland, will be going with us to the Dominican Republic in May. And it's an opportunity to go and, and really touch and see and feel what's happening and, ha- and come back to the U.S. with a, having a personal relationship uh, with someone. And facilitation is really what the, the final principle, in some ways, is the most important piece of what IPM does. It's pulling all that together, building those relationships, allowing an opportunity for people to understand that as the world gets smaller, those that are con- those of us that are concerned with issues related to justice, peace, and hope need to find a way to reach, reach across the ocean, um, hold one another's hands, try to address the issues that divide us around culture, faith, and economic circumstance, and, and work together for the betterment of humanity. Mm. And, and what, what led you to um, Hancock <laughs> County, to my Desert Island? Uh, well, that's a long story. Uh, my parents uh, were teachers, and they uh, had a long affinity for New England. I had a um, great aunt who lived in Booth Bay Harbor, and my parent, my father in particular, had a number of teacher friends at UNH and other institutions in New England. And so we would come up here. It's sort of a tradition I continued uh, with my oldest daughter camping in Blackwood's campground every year for 20-some years. And a few years ago, we were looking at an opportunity. My spouse and I had two young children, and we're thinking about quality of life issues, where we might want to live. She frankly got an opportunity to work as a visiting professor at the College of the Atlantic, teaching a course uh, related to human rights issues and women initially in Africa. Uh, She happens to be Kenyan. And uh, that provided an opportunity for us to move here. And as we sort of explored what it would look like to actually make that a permanent move, uh, we were just really excited about the community we felt here, the connections internationally, particularly in this part of Maine, uh, the, the sort of international sense that folks have, the commitment to peace and justice that's um, so prevalent you know, and so promoted on shows like this and, at, and the colleges here. And, and with other people in the community, and uh, we decided to stay. Mm. And how about your own, your, your own journey? Um, uh, how did you um, kind of come to the idea that, one, um, it was important to be serving other people, and uh, this notion of international? You could have done some of this work in, in the rural south or um, yeah. Appalachia. Yeah, no, I think, well, I mean, I mentioned my parents earlier. I mean, I think we all have mentors that we mm-hmm. learn from or whose shoulders we stand on. I mean, my parents um, were very important in that development for me. Um, I remember being a child, and they took in Vietnamese refugees uh, when I was probably about 10 years old, five guys that lived with us initially and that became really members of our family, celebrated holidays with us. Um, I have really early childhood memories of Robert F. Kennedy and Martin Luther King being killed, my mother's reaction to that, and her trying to explain why that happened mm-hmm. and what that might mean for, for someone who was raised Catholic or who mm-hmm. um, didn't really have many African-American friends growing up in the ethnic community. I grew up in the Midwest, but um, had a, happened to have a really good young um, friend as an, uh, an African-American boy that came to our school and trying to make those connections. Um, and then in 1980, when the church women were killed in El Salvador, I went to a school that was connected to the Ursuline community, and my mother had uh, had known Dorothy Kazel, and so that was sort of an intimate, you know, sort of exposure to that reality. Certainly at school, I went to Holy Cross in Massachusetts, and then the Yale Divinity School, had some opportunities to travel there to Northern Ireland, while I was there to Northern Ireland, Korea, into the DMZ, and Mexico to meet with the solidarity groups from Guatemala, um, El Salvador, Nicaragua. Um, those were in many ways kind of eye-opening experiences for me as a young North American kid. Um, sort of coming of age in the Carter and Reagan years and that transition and what was happening with the Cold War and um, feeling like where I wanted to stand and where I thought the people that I admired were standing on those issues was different than what I was hearing from my government. Uh, And then gradually I had the opportunity to live in Italy for seven years. And while I was there, um, spent some time in Bosnia during the war and just 
just I think these things, you know, one thing in life leads to another, and um, international work is compelling and addicting in its own way. And I think you know one of the things that's unique about IPM, particularly this idea of global awareness, is that. There's so much that we can learn from the way that people respond to a tragedy in a place like Bosnia or Rwanda that could be learned and used and we could benefit from even in, in Maine and, um, and in rural communities, whether it's around chemical addiction or domestic violence, the way people respond to conflict, the way people come up with entrepreneurial activities to generate income to address the needs that they identify in those communities. So it's it's been a long transformative process and, um, you know, it's been part of my own journey, I guess, as a person, my own faith journey, to sort of get an understanding of, of where we're at with this. Um, my doctoral work was on education as transformation and looking at the Immersion Experience Program really as an opportunity for a, a different way for North Americans to be in the world and a way that's really grounded in humility and understanding and sort of the Buddhist concept of accompaniment and, and being with people, learning from them, and, and how much more helpful that is. I've seen so much, you know, over the last 25 years traveling internationally, seen so much that happens inappropriately in the development area or folks that, you know, espouse concern about human rights but trample on human rights, you know, all the time. And it's it's been very important for me as a person to be able to, to work for and with an organization that really upholds the dignity of everyone and believes that, you know, I has, have as much to learn from a single mom in El Salvador who happens to be one of our partners or from a Muslim uh, young man in India who decided to stand against the inner ethnic and interreligious violence there, actually a Hindu young man, I'm sorry, who married a Muslim woman and they now have a child together. And to know them and to see their child um, be born and, and be in the world in the way that she's mm -hmm. being raised differently than um, other people in India has, you know, has has been a real blessing, I guess, in my life. Mm. And as you've um, brought um, this to um, this part of the world um, and begun to to speak, and and uh, Sarah, you will have a, a role in this notion of of outreach. Um, how, how are you finding people responding to this? And in some ways, um, more sophisticated approach to <laughs> development than um, what we often think of. It's a it's a great question. We were um, Sarah and I were talking earlier and. An, another colleague who was here from our headquarters in Cleveland about even our own, the way that we market IPM and um, particularly being on MDI, our offices in Bar Harbor, you know, looking at the, the travel component of what we do is something that might be attractive to people. But frankly, for a lot of folks, is, there's really still a struggle. I mean, we've, we've sort of been, you know, people in the United States tend to approach everything from the same perspective. And, and we know best often, when, and many times we do. Um, but we don't always have the best answers to some of the challenges we have in the world around poverty and the environment and, and those sorts of issues. And so for us, it's, it's always a struggle to say, look, you know, if you travel to Kenya, as Jan did with us, you're not going to do anything. Um, you're not going to help them. <laughs> you're not going to convert them to our way of thinking, whether it's religious or economic, you know, whatever kind of system we're trying to convert people to. Um, but that you're going to learn and that we have a lot to learn and that we don't have all the answers. And, and that's a difficult sell. With the Immersion Experience Program, we probably get 10 inquiries for groups that want to go and work um, rather than groups that want to go and listen. And it's, it's constantly a challenge for us to say, look, you know, mm -hmm. you know you, you're smart, you know a lot, but you know, mm -hmm. th that's not what this is about. And that's probably not the most appropriate way for North Americans to lead. Mm -hmm. You know, let's mm -hmm. go, let's learn, let's listen, and then let's see how we can work on this together. And, and we've found, I mean, frankly, I think Maine has, a, you know, having come here and now lived here, but come here since I was a child, there's an openness here that I think a lot of people don't understand. You do, obviously. Um, and there's also sort of a sense of um, personal dignity and personal commitment that I think people relate to um, others coming into their life, say, here at different times of the year and, and you know, changing the way Maine is for a few months, for example, or, or treating people differently because they happen to be a caretaker or they happen to be the son of a, of a lobster fisher person. And, um, and we need to, you know, I think people in that way are kind of open to IPM's approach of, you know, we work with small fishing communities mm -hmm. around the world. We work with rural farming communities around the world. We work with women who have been the victims of domestic violence or children who've, whose families haven't made education a priority. And I think people can identify with that and, and understand 
that it's, you know, it's those folks themselves who have to figure out their solutions. It's not us or someone from away who's going to do that for them. Mm. And Sarah, what, what attracted you? You're a relatively new um, um, staff mm. member. What attracted you to this work? Um, I studied abroad my junior year um, in my undergraduate studies at, in Uganda. I was based at a Kampala, and the theme of the program was developmental work, but um, I specifically focused my research on First Amendment rights and looking at free speech, free press. But one of the things that um, attracted me to IPM when I was interviewing with Joe initially was their idea that we don't always have the right answer and this idea of Western arrogance and coming in and teaching someone the right way to do things isn't necessarily the best way to go about going into somebody else's culture and country and telling them that they're wrong without even having the context to be able to make that decision for them. So, and that's one thing I learned while abroad, and it was really nice to hear thoughts that I had echoed through Joe and IPN's mission. Mm. So, mm. yeah, decided great. to jump on board. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> well, we hope that we're going to hear from Erica um, in a little bit, but I'll just remind listeners they're tuned to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We're talking about the theme of, of uh, I, I'm, I'm borrowing from your literature, so Sowing mm. Seeds of Hope, the work of um, IPM, and uh, Joe Sistone is the executive director, and um, he's joined here in the studio by uh, Sarah Govan, who's the um, one of the the outreach assistants um, here in the, the Bar Harbor area. Um, later on, we'll um, try to get your phone calls. But uh, um, Joe, why don't you, in, in anticipation of hearing Erica <laughs> from Erica, um, tell us a little bit about um, your work in in Latin America, um, perhaps how um, IPM got started there, and then um, maybe uh, Erica will be able yeah, to join us. Yeah, no, I mean we've IPM has been very active in Latin America really since our founding in 1974. Our Two, our founders had been Lutheran missionaries in India and Japan in the 50s and 60s, and part of what got them fired from the Missouri Synod Church was this idea that it's not the missionary's role, I think I mentioned this earlier, mm-hmm. um, to bring Jesus or God um, to the oppressed, but rather to discover the divine, whatever we believe the divine is, the divine spirit there amongst them. And and Jim, because of the stance that he took, again, Jim, Jim. Jim Mayer, excuse okay. me, uh, one of the co-founders, he's actually memorialized at the Casa Jaime Mayer that Augsburg College, Augsburg College runs their Center for Global Concerns out of in Managua, Nicaragua. And Jim was very involved in trying to look at education as more of a liberative process for folks where they would um, as the plaque at the at the center says um, that he challenged the Lutheran Church in his case with a new vision um, of society grounded in justice and love and mm. sort of a liberating education process through education through experience an education that's transformative and so we've had a long history there um, particularly in El Salvador and Nicaragua during the conflicts of the 1980s, um, also in the Dominican Republic with a remarkable uh, woman that's been living there for over 30 years and does really incredible work, uh, awareness-raising work in what are known as base Christian communities, small groups of people that come together and use the, the Bible, the Hebrew, and Christian scriptures alike as a way to motivate their communities and to look on um, the reality of their situation sort of with a new lens. Mm-hmm. Rather than assuming that they should suffer on earth and that mm-hmm. they would, you know, they re, you know enjoy some reward in heaven, but rather that they ought to be working for justice mm-hmm. um, on earth and also in Colombia um, and in Brazil. And so through throughout the eighties, we worked in many of those communities. In not, in two thousand and two, I had the opportunity to travel to El Salvador personally for the first time, even though I had spent a lot of time working with solidarity movements when I was in college, uh, when I, and when I was in Mexico, as I mentioned earlier, and met with some groups in El Salvador um, through a partnership with a local university in Cleveland, Ohio, and really came to understand the kind of impact that IPM could have, particularly in the communities that had been the victims of conflict, um, whether it was the Contra War or the Civil War in El Salvador, um, and we're trying to figure out ways to respond because so much of what happens in and I know you're not naive about this, Ron, but, you know, in the political processes, we tend to think, oh, well, if the FMLN gets elected or if Barack Obama gets elected, everything will be okay. And we all know that's not the case and that many of the groups that organize around bringing political change then find themselves immediately after the election left out in the same kind of way they were mm-hmm. beforehand. 
And so part of what we seek to do as a, as a nonpartisan organization is to find those progressive communities that we can work with um, and try to support them as they respond to their community's needs. Um, a really good example would be um, a project in a little town called Armenia in El Salvador uh, where there's been a real lack of access to the public water supply for many years. And we were able to work with a cooperative, ironically named for the slain church women from North America, uh, to build a, a well and to put in the piping and to provide clean, potable water access for their communities. Now, the minute that was done, the local mayor, who is from the other end of the political spectrum, immediately wanted to take credit for that and wanted to sort of ostracize the women and their engagement in that work. And it's it's been remarkable to see how the women have been able, having an, an, an international partner, how they've sort of felt empowered, if you will, to stand up against mm. that and to mm. say, no, look, you know, we have, we found our own voice now. We have the ability to control our own access to water. Um, in fact, they've started a bakery, a small baking cooperative that's generating income for their community. They're sending their kids to school in a way that, you know, dressed and with adequate supplies that they wouldn't have been able to otherwise. And it's really been a life-changing experience for them and for me to sort of accompany them in that process and to see the difference um, mm. they've been able to make. So how, how would someone like Erica, and maybe you could describe your structure a little bit sure. um, um, and uh, see the ways in which she might um, kind of help foster these partnerships, um, discover the potential, and then follow up in some way. Um, well, Erica, we have IPM operates in 25 countries around the world, as you said, and it's kind of a hub-and-spoke setup, if you will. We have offices in El Salvador, in Nairobi, Kenya, and in Ahmedabad, India. And then our regional staff, which is more than 50% of the IPM staff these days, uh, they coordinate our work from each of those regions. Mm. So much of it is done word of mouth. We might be working with a cooperative in one part of Zaragoza, for example, and then they say, you know, look, there's another group that we know in El Zaite, down a community that's developed over the gar around a garbage dump, uh, mostly of ref internally displaced people during the conflict and engage them. And why don't we try to work with their preschool program there? Mm. Because many of the women that are benefiting from the sewing cooperative also have children that need a better education. So let's partner with them as well. And I think we do have someone on the phone that Great. can help us with that. <laughs> um, welcome uh, to Talk of the Towns, Erica Murcia. So, are Hi. you there? Yes? Yes, good morning, good, good morning, and thank you for being with us. Um, tell us uh, um, where you're calling from, and then um, talk a little bit about the role that Joe has, has just introduced, this, this role of a, um, helping to form partnerships in Latin America. Yeah, so um, my name is Erika Murcia, as you already mentioned, and I am the regional director of uh, IBM in Latin America and the Caribbean region. We work in different countries here. We work in Brazil, Colombia, DR, Nicaragua, El Salvador, and hopefully uh, in Haiti, we are emerging there. So um, we, uh, my role is to give assistance, technical assistance, and uh, find uh, funds for the trade partners in the region to accompany the people in the communities to find ways of uh, um, finding collaboration and uh, finding different organizations or institutions could, could, uh, who could support them with uh, more technical assistance. So it's more like creating that kind of um, partnership and collaboration with other institutions that have uh, more tools to support them too. Hmm. And Joe has described one of the the real um, signature elements of, of uh, IPM as as uh, global awareness and, and personalization. Um, so when um, folks from North America uh, visit some of the, your project partners, what what do they learn? What are the things that they are most curious about? Um, what do they need to know? Well, um, I think first of all, it's very important understand, especially for people who is coming uh, from the United States to different, these countries, like El Salvador, Nicaragua, or DPR, or any other country in the globe, that the communities face poverty because of a system of, of exclusion. Mm. Uh, so they are poor, uh, they are in, impoverished. Uh, there are reasons or causes that, um, that make them be in that situation. And also, the most important thing is that they have dignity and are capable to change their own reality. They just need the tools and support to move forward. Mm. Um, 
And I always say that IPN teach them how to fish and where to fish because it's <laughs> not about feeding them, right. but teaching them how to to be able to make their own income, to, to make their own decisions about which are their priorities, which are their problems, and which are the best solutions for those problems but that come from them. It's not about us bringing the, uh, the solutions to them, but understanding and being humble that they are capable, but they don't have the resources. Oh, that's... And, um, Sorry. No, that's. I was just going to say that's such a different approach than many of the things that North Americans tend to to do in the world. <laughs> of course, and it's uh, how Joe already mentioned. It's really hard sometimes for us that has uh, we who are the leaders uh, of the immersion experience programs uh, to hear that kind of comments because. Uh, sometimes some of the participants are saying, oh, I thought I was coming to work. I, I thought I was coming to do this, uh, to do things for people. And I say, you are doing such an important thing that is sitting down and listening to them. Listen the history of their country, listening their own personal history, listening their own struggles, and then uh, to understand that one of the most important commitments they can do is to go back to their countries, United States, or any other country, and, uh, and say, hey, look, I heard this story of these people. For us, in IPM, it's so important, the history of a country, the memorial history um, of the community, and to understand that we are a global society, that we're not separated. We, we, um, we are just one global community, and we, the, uh, uh, what happened in one community depends on, on the decisions that are taken in um, the U.S. government. Mm. Or, you know what I mean? It's just, we can't separate each other. Yes. Yes. Well, I, and I, I'm so glad that you're you're helping us understand that um, here in a very rural place in, in Maine, a rural state, and uh, yet you're making the connection, um, what people need to, to, to uh, kind of understand about um, yes. this connection, this global connection. If you could describe uh, one um, small project um, or um, kind of a, a, something that's shows up as a promising idea that's come from a local community. Um, what would you like to share? Okay, I, I, I would like to share about all our projects. <laughs> <laughs> because I love them. I mean, but you have to make me uh, decide or pick this one. Right. So, um, I'm going to, to, to pick uh, one of the projects in DDR, in the Dominican Republic. We work there uh, in El Cercado area, is the uh, south uh, south uh, west of uh, the country and it's uh, very nearby the uh, border with Haiti. Mm. So there is um, a community with high levels of um, of poverty but also violence, especially uh, regard, uh, in relation of um, men against women violence mm. so um, or domestic violence and also sexual violence. So this community is very organized from the parish. And um, our coordinators uh, work in different communities with, um, uh, they do greenhouses. And it's beautiful to see men and women working together uh, on, the, on the land to grow their own crops, to be able to sell the crops. And it's organic. Everything is organic. They, they don't use chemicals, uh, fertilizers. They just use um, um, uh, organic fertilizers. And uh, so what happened is that they grow their own crops to feed their children. Also, uh, the, the production uh, can help them to, to use the, the fruit or uh, the seed for do, doing different kind of, uh, it's kind of like, I always say, economia solidaria. It's yes. like uh, economy in, in solidarity, right? It's one community produce this and can sell it, for example, to our project partner that is uh, women microenterprise, uh, women cooperative that uh, work with peanut butter. So they buy the peanut butter to another cooperative to grow the peanut butter. And um, they are making this nutri that is um, a bar, uh, peanut butter uh, bar, that it, it has honey and um, sugar and milk and peanuts. And it's really, really good for kids that are malnourished. Yes. So um, it's 
it's a this virtuous circle, and it's amazing to see how the women started from very little with very little, but they uh, the name of the cooperative is uh, Hands Blessed by uh, Blessed by God. Uh-huh. It's just beautiful because they work really hard in cooperation uh, to support not not just the team of women that are more than 18 uh, mothers, especially some of them are single mothers, but that they are also uh, buying different crops to other uh, associations and also supporting the communities, uh, the the children, malmuters in uh, different communities. But also the most important thing is that they are trying to uh, be able to sell the peanut butter um, nationwide. And... And we are trying to give them different kind of uh, advices and finding collaborations so they can be able to uh, sell the, the peanut butter that is completely organic. And also in the future, maybe, uh, because I like to think, uh, indeed, they could sell it in the market abroad uh, of their country. Yes. Well, we're going to let you go, um, and good luck with your work, and I'll make you a deal. If you come back, come to, come to Maine at some point. Um, we'll set up a story when we can, you can tell more of these stories. Thank you. Thank you very much for being with us this morning. Um, Erica Murcia, I think that's yeah. how you pronounce it, um, with IPM. She's the regional director uh, based in Latin America and the Caribbean. And uh, um, Joe Sistone is with us. He's the executive director of IPM. And uh, um, along with him is uh, Sarah Govan. And um, what else would you say about uh, Erica's stories? Well, I think, I mean, Erica, you can you can pick up the enthusiasm in her voice. She's a remarkable uh, young professional who uh, was actually born in a refugee camp um, over the border in Honduras and it's just been um, been a real treasure to be able to watch her grow and mature in her role of uh, the work that she does she, she referenced the virtuous cycle of the yes. kind of work we do and, and trying to find ways that you know the, the women are making a product that provides income for themselves which allows them to feed their families, help pay for their children to go to school, but it also, after the uh, earthquake in Haiti, is allowing a bordering community in Haiti to address the nutritional needs of the children there. And at the same time, they're, they're finding their voice. I mean, they talk, you talk a lot in Latin America about being the voice of the voiceless, and I suppose WERU in some ways is the voice for some of the voiceless here in Maine. Mm. Um, but it's also, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's wonderful to, to be able to be part of an organization that provides particularly women, children, and youth around the world through this partnership model, a way to, to be the subjects of their own history, to determine um, how they want to move ahead in, in society and to make not only their community a better place, but want to be connected in, in, in helping our globe turn around environmentally and from a social justice perspective mm. in, their, in their community. Well, let's go now to a, a phone call from Jan Moore. Jan is a, a realtor in, in, uh, on Mount Desert Island, and she was a participant in a, an immersion experience in Kenya. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Jan. Good morning. Thank you for the invite. Great. And tell us, um, first of all, um, was your experience in in Kenya your first kind of international development kind of uh, venture, or or is that a a long-time interest? Um, It was my first um, international trip of this uh, nature. Um, I've traveled extensively, but not with an organization like IPM. Mm. And so um, what was different about this trip to Kenya um, from your other travels? Um, It was the connection to the people. Mm. Um, I like to quote Martin Fisher, the world is your school. And it was an experience where um, I I learned so much um, and connected with people and their way of life in a way that you would not do if you were on it as going as a tourist. Right. Can you can you think of one or two people that um, that uh, helped you with that that schooling? <laughs> How I came to appreciate yeah, the work yeah. of IPM or yeah. well, no, I was th- I was thinking I was thinking of the some of the folks that you met in Kenya. What were their stories? What did you learn from them? Um, well, I, I learned that we all breathe the same air mm. and um, we're products of our environment um, and it's how we, we handle our daily experiences that make the difference. 
Um, the folks that I met in Kenya were so warm and engaging and loving and in spite of um, their poverty and disparity. Um, it was truly it's heartwarming to see um, how people with so little can be so loving. Mm. And and so from your experience um, as uh, someone involved in the immersion program, what was your um, preparation like? How, how did you prepare for this trip? And um, tell us a little bit about that. Um, well, I was fortunate enough to um, meet Joe and Aileen uh, five years ago and um, became extremely interested in Joe's work and um, took an immediate liking to his wife, Aileen, who is from Kenya and um, having become friends with them I said to Aileen one day the next time you go to Kenya I want to go with you (laughs) and I know many other people have said the same to her but I put my money where my mouth was (laughs) (laughs) and um, as far as preparation goes um, IPM you know provided um, materials but it was a very busy summer for me between real estate and my oldest son getting married that I probably, I did not have the chance to prepare as much as I would have otherwise. Um, but it was okay. I'm still processing the experience. I'm still learning. I really enjoy listening to Joe this morning and Erica speaks with so much passion. Um, uh, when Erica was here last spring, I, Um, listened to her speak three times and every time she spoke it brought tears to my eyes Mm. I mean she is truly an ambassador for not only IPM but for her country Mm. Joe made reference to the fact that many North Americans might travel to a place but expecting as part of something that (laughs) involves the word mission that they might be working (laughs) in some way did you find that um, did you have to resist that that urge no because I've had (laughs) opportunities to go on quote unquote some of those other Uh types of trips where you go for two weeks and you dig a ditch or you know help build a school pound a few nails no they prepared me for what the trip was all about and one thing that they did was try to put take you out of your comfort zone and we actually lived in um, some buildings that had once been a convent at um, a school for children with um, epilepsy in um, Kenya and you know it was pretty it was pretty crude mm. but it was it was okay and um jen uh what's been the result in your life and um as you talk with others in um, your own circles um what impact is, is has this trip through ipm made in your life well it was definitely a life-changing experience and um you know i plan to um continue to do volunteer work with Joe. He has formed an affinity group here on um, Mount Desert Island. So we um, hope to um, spread the word regarding IPM uh, with, you know, other people from Maine and other people on the East Coast. Um, so they may be able to experience an immersion trip, like much like I did. Great. Um, I'm already looking forward to the next one. So um, this, this, as you say, it changed your life, and you're having those conversations with others that they might, you know, get involved. Absolutely. Great. Well, Jan, thanks so much for being with us on Talk of the Towns this morning. Okay. Thank you. That was Jan Mora, um, realtor in Northeast Harbor, who participated in the IPM immersion experience in Kenya last September. and we're hoping that we might still hear from um, uh, Mahesh, who um, is in uh, India and a regional director with IPM. I'll just remind listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about sowing seeds of hope through the work of IPM. And they're um, based, the executive director is based in, in Bar Harbor at this point and um, has, has told the story of how, how they got there. Um, Joe, what, what else would you like listeners to, to kind of know as we hope that Mahesh uh, joins us? Well, I think with Jan said about, you know, this idea of being changed for life is really is really important for IPM. I mean, we all 
go through our own journeys where we sort of wonder what our role is in the world and how we can make a difference. And one of the things that we know is that people that travel on immersion experiences, there was a book uh, that came out a few years ago called Thieves in the Temple that talked about the IPM model as being the most appropriate model to do international travel. And the reason he said that is that we know that people that go whether they go to build or they go to proselytize, it's really about them and what they can do. More often than not, they're taking jobs away from locals. Um, they're not uh, abiding by local laws. They're not building according to local code. I mean, how would anyone feel, um, you know, in, on Blue Hill, Maine, if a community from England even showed up and started putting up a latrine on your corner <laughs> and saying, or, you know, or an Indian group, we'll hear from Mahesh, said, you know, you ought to have the, you ought to be squatting and not sitting while you're going there. And so there's cultural issues that we don't really think about. And, and, and often if we go sort of trying to address our own, in, in our own personal needs, and we know from our own survey work and research, the people that go on immersions tend to vote more, they tend to volunteer more, they tend to donate more, um, and it's not just to IPM. They get engaged in their local community and they get engaged in international issues of social justice and trying to build peace um, that, are, that are vitally important for Great. us let's, to move forward. Let's see if we can, um, um, uh, Mahesh Apadaya, you're with us by phone. Are you there? Yes, uh, this is Mahesh. Thank you for joining us. Um, you were you were in Maine not too long ago um, to talk about your work with IPM. Tell us uh, what your impressions were when you came to Maine. Well, I think uh, the first thing that struck me was all the sweet water that is available there. There's a lot of drinking water, which we don't see too often in most uh-huh. of the project areas that we're working in. And uh, I think, yeah, that's, uh, that's how it impacted me right away when I saw that. But I think meeting all the people there, meeting uh, young children, meeting uh, youth, meeting adults, meeting people from all age groups, I think uh, the awareness that uh, we are living more and more in an interconnected world is something that struck me right away. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I felt that we are connected economically, which is true in terms of uh, uh, production and marketing of goods and services as consumers. But we are also more and more connected economically, biologically, and uh, Maybe even spiritually too, you know, uh, in terms of uh, concern for human beings uh, uh, from all over the globe. Mm. Joe has told us about the story of the transition from soap making to kite making. So he's already told that story. But uh, can you tell another story about some of the work that you have seen or facilitated um, in your role as a regional director? Yeah, I think uh, uh, one of the most important things uh, that happen uh, in this kind of work is that People from the West tend to come over and provide us with or give money, and I think uh, I think what is more important is the, uh, what you have, listening to local uh, issues and concerns, and finding out something that is uh, localized and context-specific. So I think one of the things that I often do on behalf of IPM and with many of the partners in India is that we ask people what is it that they really want and what is it that they really need. And sometimes the answers are amazing. We have had requests for water, we have had requests for schools, we have had requests for uh, experiential programs, uh, people have wanted to learn about things. There's mostly major important projects, which I mean, I'm trying to share with you right away. One is the one which do refer to uh, the Hindus United with Muslims. Uh, this is uh, with reference to the 2002 riots that took place in Ahmedabad. More than 2,000 men, women, and children were killed. So that was a deep effort that Joe spoke about and which led to soap making and then the price making. The other project that is working on in the south of India uh, is uh, a project that is run by Dr. Vimla Charles. She's one of the first uh, medical doctors in her region in the south of India in uh, the state of Tamil Nadu and her project is very close to the southern tip of India where all the three oceans meet. And she runs an amazing hospice center there. The idea for hospice is very unusual in our part of the world because we have a population of 1.2 billion and uh, people don't really care for the person on the street, for the poor and for the needy. So Dr. Charles is providing an amazing healthcare system and a hospice center for people who are in uh, who are terminally ill. And uh, the other program that's running in Gujarat, which is the land of Mahatma Gandhi, uh, is a project that we run for the Jet Tribe. The Jet Tribe are a nomadic group who used to travel all the way from Afghanistan to India, uh, carrying all that, taking their cattle with them, taking their camels, their goats, uh, 
So after partition in 1947, uh, they were stranded in India because uh, of the difficult relations that India and Pakistan have. The border has become a, a very difficult area to cross over into. And the nomadic tribe are people who are uh, citizens uh, who live uh, across Afghanistan, Pakistan and India. Hmm. And so their identities are uh, not localized, but uh, uh, their identities are like, linked to the whole region. And what we did with them was on two things that they were uh, lacking in. One was we didn't have clean drinking water. And they used to share uh, a pond, uh, a lake in which the cattle and uh, the community to drink water from the same uh, source. Hmm. So drinking water was an area where we did some work with them. And uh, we had a visitor from Cleveland, uh, Mr. Hank, uh, Mr. Henry Girl, uh, uh, lovingly known as Hank there. And he had a discussion with the head of the tribe there. And one of the things uh, uh, when he asked the tribal head uh, was about the future of the children. And the tribal head said that it's time for children to learn the ways of the world. What they need is a school. What they need is uh, education. Uh, they need to have an understanding of what cultures all across India are, you know, to be a part of the mainstream because they could no longer be nomads uh, carrying their cattle all over the country. Hmm. So that's an interesting school project that has started there. And this is a community which lives on the outskirts of a village. And India has a very strong, what you call, uh, car system. So people uh, live in segregated areas in the village based on their caste and identity. Now, the nomads are outsiders, so they don't even have a space within the village. Hmm. They live on common land, which is outside the main village, and they don't have access to any of the infrastructure facilities. No schools, no drinking water, no ration shops, uh, no healthcare services. And this is the place where uh, uh, the kids were growing up in uh, and uh, looking forward to having uh, some educational facilities. And that's when Hank and the tribal head got together and then Hank said, is there something that I can do? And he said, help me teach my children. And so we support a, a teaching project for uh, around uh, 10 to 15 young boys and girls who live in this community. And there are many spin-offs, there are many side effects of uh, what you call, not side effects, there are many benefits of working through an educational program. One of the advantages was that when the state tried to evict them, we saw the school and the children and the bulldozers went back because they couldn't uh, destroy the school. Mm. But the school is a small hut, it's just uh, it's just four wooden bamboo uh, sticks with, uh, uh, with a shed on top, you know, and that's the school for them. But it's an important place for the children to come together, for the teacher to teach them. And uh, so that, that's the third project uh, that is going on in uh, India. We also have projects in Nepal, which is a neighboring country. I mean, while India has a population of 1.2 billion, Nepal has a population of uh, 25 million, uh, approximately 25 million persons. And trafficking is a very important issue that uh, they have to deal with, both locally and uh, on the borders. So one of our projects uh, works uh, to see that women have savings, that women have alternatives income generation opportunities so they were able to uh, escape from the trafficking and prostitution. Mm. Well, Mahesh, we're going to let you go. Um, I think we've got some um, folks who might want to call in and ask Joe some questions, but thanks so much for being with us and taking time, and I'll make the same offer I, I made to Erica, that if you um, come back to, to uh, this part of Maine, um, we'll get you to tell some more stories. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Mahesh Apadaya, who is a regional director with IPM. Um, in the studio with us, we have Joe Sistone, executive director of IPM. And uh, um, Sarah Galvin is the uh, uh, outreach administrator or assistant. Um, if you'd like to participate uh, briefly in this uh, phone uh, conversation, one 625 9378 That's one Six two five nine three seven eight or locally four six nine zero five zero zero. Joe, um, how could listeners uh, learn more? Um, you've probably got a website that you we can do. Tell we us have about. A, a website is um, IPM Connect. That's the word Connect dot org. We also have a very active Facebook page, particularly for people to travel on immersion experiences, and that has that's our full name: International Partners and Mission. Uh, you can find us and find me on Facebook if you want to friend us or become a fan. Uh, we'd love to be in communication with you that way. We have, as Ron has mentioned, a new office at 67 Main Street on the third floor in Bar Harbor, where Sarah and I are based currently, and a, a COA student will be joining us this summer, as well as another Farmington grad. Uh, you can always stop in, and during the day, we're often there pretty late at night as well. Uh, if you see the light on, you'll know we're there. Uh, come on up and uh, figure out how you might get involved. Our phone number 
number here in Maine is 801-9020. That's 801-9020. Or you can call toll-free 1-866-932-4082. That's 1-866-932-4082. We would uh, love to have you join the IPM family, as we say. There are a number of open trips, immersion experiences still to come this year uh, to the Dominican Republic in June to Kenya in September, to India with Peter Mayer, who is the lead guitarist for Jimmy Buffett uh, and the son of our founder. He'll be taking a group with me uh, and Mahesh to India in October. And then we'll also be uh, having a delegation to Italy uh, after Christmas and during the New Year period. We do a lot of anti-trafficking work in Europe, as Mahesh referenced. Uh, and this is a wonderful opportunity to see it, uh, Italy from a very different lens. Mm, mm. So um, uh, both, I think, uh, your field director uh, talked about the importance of listening to the local community. Um, what is is there a is there a skill level that we as North Americans need to, to get to to get to a place where we are just listening and not trying to fix something? Yeah, I think if, maybe if we were all Buddhists, we'd be. In <laughs> Uh, no, I think if we, you know, we, we joke that uh, it's probably the most difficult thing, you know, for a type A white North American male like me sometimes to shut up. And, um, and it's, it is really important to be, be willing to listen. And we do a lot of work during the trip, both in pre-trap preparation, as Jan referenced, but also every morning and every evening reflecting on the experiences and saying, look, you know, you really need to step back a little bit and mm. you need to you need to listen and you need to learn and and with some groups that's more difficult with with other groups for example Yale University just sent a group of students involved with their chaplain's office and those those kids those young people were already um, engaged in a process and learning about what they were going to see um, when they were in El Salvador. So they, they wanted to go and to listen and learn. Um, but it's important, even when we gather our partners, we every year we bring everybody from around the region together for a regional conference. And I think IPM, like a lot of organizations, it's, it's really important to play this convening role and to provide people who have been the victims of you know gross violence, crimes against humanity, uh, violations of their human rights, as Sarah referenced earlier, uh, to be able to know that this is a safe space where they can open up, where they can talk, uh, when they can, where they can share. We have a, a newsletter that comes out, and uh, you'll be able to find it online at, um, w, at ipmconnect.org in a week or two where Mahesh reflects on the experience of the Indian and Nepali participants in the conference that for the first time ever a Westerner came or Westerners came without any solutions but came to listen and came to learn. And mm -hmm. I think once, you, once you've done that and once you feel that personal connection with someone, you're able to look them in the eye and, and, and realize that we all share the same hopes and dreams mm -hmm. um, for ourselves and for our children, um, listening comes a lot easier. Mm. And Mahesh referenced this um, very um, uh, rustic school um, in India, which is, you know, sticks put together and, and a roof over the head. But that was that safe place for those young people to come. And in that school experience, I can imagine that they probably don't have any other safe spaces in their community. No, very few. And, um, you know, it's important. I'd be doing a disservice, I think, to IPM if I didn't mention it. He referenced a donor. I mean, this was something with a couple hundred dollars um, we were able to put up this school in this community. Community. And Mahesh tells this story, and we've all seen movies where this kind of thing is depicted, but to actually be there and to see these sort of soldiers and local police show up with this directive to move this marginal community out mm -hmm. of the way. You know, your housing is substandard. You don't have a right to be here. And when those police saw those children learning in that hut, they turned away. Um, and they said, we can't do this. And, you know, talk about life-changing. Mm -hmm. And, Sarah, um, as you think about um, your own education and some of your colleagues in school, what, what would you want them to know <laughs> based on what you've begun to figure out through IPM? Is, are there some lessons that you think um, our North American education ought to be kind of conveying to, to uh, your colleagues or your generation? Yeah, um, I think, you know, not to be redundant, but just as everyone's been saying, learning to just stop and listen. Um, I think especially in current times, there's a lot of economic disrupt with the recession and Americans maybe are seeing we're not really on the top as we always once believed we were. Um, and this whole trickle down effect, like start with the money and, you know, dish it out or like have the important people help the little people isn't really a good way to go about thinking. I mean, clearly if our own sense of um, 
confidence in our in this economic downturn hasn't taught us anything. I think that is something and maybe working more from a grassroots effect bottom up and just learning to listen to people and help them, you know, maybe maybe help the little guy instead of helping. Mm-hmm. I don't Great. know. Yeah. Great. Joe, that um, website one more time? Is ipmconnect.org. Great. Well, thanks to both of you and for being you, with Ron. us. Thank you, Ron. Thank you for having us. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Balmain House Highland Music recording. Thanks again to our guests from IPM, Joseph Stone, Executive Director. Uh, Sarah Govan is the Outreach uh, Assistant um, in Bar Harbor. Erica Murcia is uh, I- IPM Regional Director in Latin America and the Caribbean. And Mahesh Apadaya is the Regional Director in South Asia and India. Thanks to those of you who listened. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Town, wishing you a good morning. Support for WERU comes from the...